0: Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Father in heaven, we're grateful that uh, we can meet freely and that we can speak freely. And so we ask as we look at this study, as we look at what's happening, what has been happening, and what's ahead of us, that you will. Um, help us to seek to remedy our own defects and to examine ourselves with the compare our, our characters to Christ's character, to compare our choices to thy holy law, and that we be be looking to Jesus to fulfill the law. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation thirteen two. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and great authority." Who is this talking about? This is talking about the Antichrist, right? And most scholars will read this talk about the Antichrist. Um same power is depicted in Daniel 7 as well. The little horn is the Antichrist. You also find the Antichrist Second 2 Thessalonians 2, the man of sin. You also find in Revelation 17. Babylon in Revelation 18. And so, all through scriptures, these scriptures, you find the same power, the Antichrist power. Now, if you're not familiar with the Antichrist power, I'm going to, and who it is and what it is, we're going to look at it briefly here, in these six parts, just real quick. The little horn or the beast is a blasphemous power, right? And who is that? Who is that blasphemous power that we look at history identify as the one who claims to be God on earth in the place of Christ? That would be. Papal Rome. That would be the papacy. The Pope of Rome. And it's not a person, it's a position. Right? It's an office. It's a, it's an authority, it's a power. Number two. The little horn beast made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So that's what it does. That little horn, the papacy made war with the saints. So it's a blasphemous power, makes war with the saints. And third, it has a mouth speaking great things. And fourth, it arose on the cessation of pa- the pagan form of the Roman Empire. So as the Roman Empire was in dec- decline in the 6th century, who came in, in place to, to fill that power vacuum? It was the papacy. It was the little horned beast power. Number 5 here, power was given to little horned beast to continue for time, time, and dividing of time. That's 1260 years, right? And that's in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. And point number 6, at the end of the specified period, the Dominion, a little horn, was to be taken away. And so it will lose its spirit. And when did that happen? That happened at the end of the 1260-year period. And that happened in 1798, right? When Napoleon, with General Berthier, took the Pope into captivity. Took away his sword. And that's key. Took away his military abilities. And that, they have not yet recovered. They prophetically will not recover that. Okay, The Vatican will not have an army with tanks and, and fighter jets and nukes. It won't happen. They may wish they could, but they, but they won't. And so, <clears throat> that's what has been fulfilled. We've seen that. And untold millions of people, of God's faithful people, have been slaughtered and martyred during that 1260-year period, and even after. Daniel 7.25 says, And of the ten horns that were on his head, and of them which came up, and before whom three fell, the three that fell, we know, were the three Aryan tribes, and of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. This is referring to, of course, the superiority of the Bishop of Rome. In being able to have sway, political power in the Roman environment, in that of this period. And, uh, it was actually greater than, say, the Bishop of Antioch, say, the Bishop of Jerusalem. He had greater influence and greater power. Why? Because he had a mouth that spake very great things and his look was more stout than his fellows. Well, he had a presence. He had authority. And that authority, did not come from God, that authority came from Satan. So now, what has happened, No, it achieved these great things in the 6th century, in the worldly sense, I mean, they are awful really, but they were, it it achieved great power in the 6th century, so what's happening now? Well, we know in September of this last year, September 12, 2019, the Pope issued an invitation It's called Reinventing the Global Educational Alliance. The Pope is to launch an Educational Pact in 2020. And that's coming in May 14th of 2020. Um, I would like to look at those things, at the Global Pact. I would like to examine that in light of his encyclical from 2015, called Laudato Si. And we'll look at Laudato Si and see what the elements are in it. But before we do that, I want to give a little bit of background. And before I give you that background, I will read this, this scripture here. Psalm 2, 1. Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? And so, why do the heathen have imaginations that are vain? And that's what the psalmist is asking. This was a problem in David's day. It is the same problem in our day. And I'm going to look at some of the organizations that have developed who have these vain imaginings. First, we'll look at the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome was founded in 1968 by 30 scientists, economists, and industrialists that came together, and they were trying to resolve the world's problems. They were concerned with industrialization, with mass development and pollution, and they wanted to see what they could do to address these problems of growth. They were also concerned with issues like depopulation of the human, human population, and they're also concerned with the One World Government. That was definitely one of the things that they were concerned with, decreasing the human population and a One World Government. You know, The New World Order, those ideas were part of this think tank, think tank, the Club of Rome. Now depopulation, this is sort of taking its own, its own things. Last year we had a birth strike, Earth strikes in June. June. Uh, this is June 26, article of last year, and uh, this is uh, millennial women. Many of them celebrities even saying they're not going to have children because they're so fearful of climate change and how it will impact the future, the future of their children. So clearly, the Club of Rome and its affiliates and has affected the population thinking, the people masses and the way they think. The Club of Rome consists of politicians like Al Gore, Mikhail Gorbachev, and even Catholic, some Catholic priests that are on it, like Father Barry Thomas, are part of that Club of Rome. It has had many different members in the past that were influential in politics, and or in science, or in business, or whichever spheres. Now, something happened, this is in, I believe in 1973. It, the The Club of Rome developed this map, and uh, it's called Regionalized and Adaptive Model of the Global World System. And you see there, it divided the world into ten powers, into ten kingdoms, is what it tried to do, for in the intent of establishing one world order. This is almost like an attempt to resurrect the ten horns of Daniel 7. It's, it's, it's like almost like an attempt they want to make to resurrect those those power, but on a global scale. Not just within the empire, but now we have the globe, right? Because before, we didn't know um, as much about the, the earth, but now we know. We know where everybody lives, and so now we can divide the world into sectors, with all the satellites and technology and the things we have available. So this was uh, being proposed. I. I believe this is already fulfilled prophecy. I don't know that this needs to happen, but I just find it interesting that they, they had this idea. Proverbs says, the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. So these things are an abomination. These depopulation programs, these attempts to create a one world order, is equivalent to the Tower of Babel, when they were trying to reconstruct, build the Tower of Babel. These are an abomination to the Lord. Now, the Club of Rome, is did something else that's key it's out of two members of the club of rome Mikhail Gorbachev and Maurice Strong wrote this uh, document called the earth charter and so the earth charter envisions what the world needs now what's in the earth charter the earth charter what's in, whatever's in the earth charter is actually very very similar to what's in the dato sea si. okay so you have you have the club of rome and some of its members have put together this Earth Charter, and the same thing that's in the Earth Charter is in the Ladato Sea. And the same thing that's in the Ladato Sea is also in the 2030 Agenda, and in Agenda 21, and in other movements like the Extinction Rebellion, and the Fridays for Future uh, strikes. All of that have similarities, almost identical, in what they are outlining. So we're don't need to look at that itself. It's interesting to note that members of the Club of Rome and supporters of the Earth Charter have had their background in the UN and NATO. And so that means they have political clout. Now major climate actions since the Club of Rome and the Earth Charter in the 80s and all that, what have, what have we seen? We've seen in 1992 at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, and that actually pushed uh, where 178 countries adopted Agenda 21. Agenda 21 is about sustainable development. And that was adopted by 178 countries in 1992. In 2000, you member states unanimously adopted the Millennium Declaration at the Millennium Summit. And so, this was also about sustainable development and about ending poverty. All sounds very good. 2002, the Johannesburg Declaration on Sustainable Development and the Plan of Implementation. In 2012, the United Nations Conference on Sustainable Development, blah, well, blah, again, sustainable development, and, blah, 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 and on and on. 2013, the General Assembly of UN members, uh, 30 members put together a big draft, and so that was significant. Now, the biggest year of all is 2015. Between January and September, there was a big draft at the UN with uh, the 2030 Agenda. And then in, in June, Dato C was released. In December of the same year, the Paris Climate Agreement was signed. And so things were moving forward kind of quick, really quick for one, in one year. That year also the Pope visited the US, right, and, and spoke to Congress. So there was a lot of things that happened in 2015. It was, it was a landmark year, really was, for climate change and for the Vatican. Revelation 17, 12-13, it says, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind; and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Now, I'm going to say this about what I just read: that the historic and pioneer understanding of this verse is that it was fulfilled in the sixth century. Okay, plain and simple. Um, and there's reason to explain the one hour aspect. I'm not going to get into. Um, but this, is, the understanding is that this was fulfilled in the 6th century. But I believe that as we look at what's happening in, in the world, we can see similarities of patterns, I should say, patterns of action and patterns of, of, of things that are happening that are very similar to what happened in the 6th century. Okay, In the 6th century, the agenda of the Bishop of Rome was to secure Rome. Rome was being attacked by the Vandals, the Visigoths, and the Hurry. Like, all these tribes were attacking Rome. So his agenda was secure Rome, right? Secure, secure that, and that because Rome was the world in a sense. Of course, there's Constant- Istanbul, Constantinople, where Constantine set up his capital, but it was important to protect that, that power. Today, there's Rome is not getting invaded by anybody, okay? Rome is secure in that sense. But there is this threat that the Club of Rome, <laughs> these scientists have, have brought to the world's attention, of climate change. So now, it's not about protecting a, a city or, or a country, it's about protecting the whole globe, protect the planet, protect the entire Earth. So once again, the papacy has risen to the occasion to do its duty, just like in the 6th century. And in doing so, what it has to do, is it has to bring the powers of the Earth to have one mind. One mind. They don't have to agree on everything. Just on certain thing. one certain thing they can agree on. They can... uh, And so, this Pope Francis is very skilled at doing. At trying to bring... To use climate change to bring together so that these powers, the most powerful nations in Europe, will will give their power for this one purpose, to secure the globe, to secure the planet. And we're going to see this has some big implications um, on... Lot of things. Laudato si. Praise be to you, my Lord. There are four parts we'll look at. Number one, solidarity, the environment, and sustainable development. And so, in order to do this, the Pope does this. And through his policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Just like in the sixth century, he today does the very same thing. He has policy. That causes deceit and craft to prosper. And back then, is primarily dealing with the Trinity, and today the Trinity is, I believe, connected to it, and so is Sunday. It is connected to it. Um, you know, back then, of course, they wanted to secure secure Rome. Today, we want to secure the globe. Yeah, but it's it's a different different approach. We require Pope says a new universal solidarity. We require what? a universal solidarity," he says. We can no longer speak of sustainable development apart from an intergenerational solidarity. Well, not just today, in other words, we have to think about the future, about future generations. Well, there's been a mass response to this, called the Extinction Rebellion in the UK. It is a network using non-violent direct action to persuade governments to act justly on the climate and ecological emergencies." They're saying, this is an ecological emergency. We have to act now, they're saying. We have to tell the truth. The environment, Pope says, is part of a logic of receptivity. It is a loan to each generation which must then hand it on to the next. An integral ecology is marked by this broader vision. So again, this it's not just today that you can be concerned about, about the future, and how is the earth going to look in the future. And we see Fridays for a Future. This is a move that began in August of 2018, after a 15-year-old Swedish girl, Greta Thunberg, sat in front of the Swedish parliament every school day for three weeks to protest against the lack of action on, on the climate crisis. She posted what she was doing on Instagram, Twitter, and it went viral. So the hashtag, Fridays for Future Climate Strike, spread to many students throughout the world. So now there's other students in other countries who are also protesting climate change. Because of us, Pope says, thousands of species will no longer give glory to God by their very existence, nor convey the message to us. We have no such right, he says. And Extinction Rebellion echoes the same thing. It calls the government to declare a climate emergency, and it's to bring the net zero greenhouse gas emissions. So in other words, zero. You have a weeder, that has to go in the trash, or get recycled, or do something with it. Can't use a re You have a lawnmower, can't use that. Car, definitely not. So zero, all electric, or something. I don't know. And this, the purpose is to halt the extinction of species, to halt the extinction of species. In, uh, in February of 2019, Lake Erie, because it was so polluted so often, it was uh, declared to be a person. And so, <clears throat> citizens now could sue on behalf of Lake Erie, and so, to protect the lake. And so, it has, uh, this is part of an developing rights of nature movement. Rights of Nature movement. It's interesting. In my mind goes to pantheism. That's something I'm going to look at in the future, not today. But it's, it's sort of interesting that uh, this is a rights of Nature uh, movement. And the Pope has said that in so many words as well. He says, Because all creatures are connected, each must be cherished and loved with respect for all of us, as living creatures are dependent on one another. Now, I would argue we depend on God. And as we depend on God, we seek to help one another, to, to, to provide, to help each other, and to support one another. But we do not depend primarily on one another. And I definitely do not depend primarily on nature. I depend on the maker of nature. Yeah. Of course, there's this uh, indigenous tribe. Of course, they don't believe these things in uh, Australia. And they have had the a bill to protect this river the Awatupua Bill was passed to protect the Wanganui River, It's as a living person as well as the Lake Erie. And these indigenous people, look, they're protesting against this river. Uh, And they are, um, they have this, they believe the river has spirits, spirit guardians. And so they're, of course, they're, they're speaking for the river here. It says, many indigenous communities Recognize nature as subjects with persons who are deserving <clears throat> of protection and respect rather than looking at it as merchandise or commodity. That's almost from the, those words are almost the same as what I read in, in the Pope's encyclical, Laudato Si. Pope also says we have to consider interdependence. Interdependence obliges us to think of one another, of a one world with a common plan. One world with a common plan. Because we're interdependent. Again, that goes back to that false idea <clears throat> that we depend on nature, or we depend on one another. No, we depend upon God, primarily. Jeremiah 17:5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed be man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So it's cursed be man, that man that does this. The globalists have echoed the same idea. They said, as one Vision of Earth website says, All of the people, would adhere if we had a one world government to the same rules and be answerable to the same final authority and all people would rely on the same institutions provide safety and services in other words the whole world would unite as a single country the principle of subordination of private property to the universal destination of goods and thus the right of everyone for their use is a golden rule of social conduct and the first principle of the whole ethical and social order Give up your property rights. Mm-hmm. Give up your per, you know, your rights. That's what the Pope is calling for. For the universal destination of goods. Now, the question I have is why doesn't he give up? No, the, the Vatican owns has vast, vast holdings of very valuable real estate. Why don't they? Why don't they lead the way? Why don't they start giving up their real estate rights? <laughs> Pope says. The Christian tradition has never recognized the right to private property as an absolute or inviolable, and has stressed the social purpose of all forms of private property. The Bible says, "For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore, I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thy hand wide unto thy brother, and to thy brother, and to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land." So it doesn't say to give up your property. Doesn't say that you know that you give it up, but God asks us to give and to help those in need. I find it interesting here, I want to make a comment. And this is from Max Weber. He recognized that Protestant nations, and this is the early 1900s, he passed away since, but Max Weber recognized that Protestant nations were substantially wealthier than Catholic nations. All the Catholic nations are in the red. All the whether it's South America, South America, or whether it's Spain, or whether it's Portugal, they're, they're not doing as well as, as the other nations are doing, as the, the ones that have Protestant roots. So Protestant nations uh, actually have dealt, my point here is they have dealt with these issues relatively better, I'll put it that way. They haven't been great. I'm not saying they've met the biblical ideal. Not, that's not my point. But they've done a whole lot better than Catholic nations have done. A whole lot better. And so, for him, as a Catholic, to sit there and point fingers at the West, at these Protestant nations, tell them, you're not doing good enough. Like, well, look at yourself in the mirror. You've done a lot, lot of evil with your system of indolence and lack of industry, your system of, of false doctrines and, and, and this socialist idea of take from the rich and give to the poor. This has impoverished many nations. He, John Paul II, clearly explained that the church does not indeed defend the legitimate right to private property, but she also teaches no less clearly that there is always a social mortgage on all private property in order that the goods may serve the general purpose that God gave them. So, your private property has a social mortgage. So if they deem that you don't, that they need it from you, they can take it. You shall not do unrighteousness in the judgment. Thou shalt not respect the persons of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. The Bible tells us not to unrightly give preference to the poor. We are to, give, we are to deal justice and fairness to the poor, but not in a just matter. Proverbs tells us, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Many in the world read the change in property right laws. This is interesting. This is from a website called VOX, Voice, Latin for Voice. Biddle land management can limit climate change, but it means taking on 30 issues like land tenure and dietary change. The Pope says your property is social mortgage. And this article, this is a a secular article, saying that uh, we need to take on issues like land tenure. You know what tenure is? It means that there are conditions under which you can occupy what you own, and if you don't meet the conditions, well, you lose it. It's not yours anymore. Right, land tenure, and so they take on that and dietary change. Now, out of this has also been born this whole vegan movement. There's something else that, that's developing as well along these lines, and there's a, a, a farm called Protofarm. It raises a species of beetle called buffalo beetle, it raises the larvae for production into insoluble powders that can be mixed up into items like nutrition bars, sports drinks, and also into tofu like protein, cake like right. And it can be cooked or grilled like meat. So you can put in your burgers. So you can take that larvae, turn it into a powder, and you can serve it as protein. Protein anyway. This is some of the ideas that saved the planet that are out there. And that's from the UN, by the way, one of the <laughs> experiments. Another uh, website talks about the climate crisis like a world war. So let's talk about rationing. So they're talking about ways to ration, just like in a war, so you can not limiting. So they're, they're trying to introduce these ideas, right? And remember, where did this come from? This was with the Club of Rome, in connection with the Vatican, the Earth Charter, and now it's spilled into the the, the Extinction Rebellion, Fridays for Future, and it's affecting all the media outlets as well. The article here talks about rationing, not only in terms of food, but in terms of gasoline and air travel as well, rationing your travel. And there is actually another article I read about some celebrities who are from the UK, who are considering quitting their jobs so they can uh, not travel as much, because with their jobs, they have uh, green cards, and they've been traveling to the U.S. to do their Hollywood stunts, and then they go back to to U.K., back and forth. So too many air miles, too much, too much pollution they're releasing. So there's some of them are considering, you know, giving up their jobs. Right? Universal solidarity. The common good. We read how through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many." And so he's doing it. Just like he did in the 6th century, he's doing it today. One authority source of oversight and coordination is the law, which lays down rules for for admissible conduct in light of the common good. He also says, Because the stakes are so high, we need institutions in power to impose penalties for damages inflicted on the environment, but we need also personal uh, bi- qualities of self-control and willingness to learn from one another. And so we need to uh, be willing to give up things, and we need to be able to you know, make, make way for the common good, for the common good. Well, this has hit our, us as well in California. And you, you, I don't know if you're aware, but the last two governors have a heavy background in Jesuit education. Governor Brown was actually the one to become a Jesuit priest. And he switched course and went into politics. Governor Newsom, he was trained at a, at a Jesuit university. This is affecting our state as well. Is where my point is. And so, uh, indoor indoor water use standards are being uh, coming in. And so the whole idea is that by I think 2023, they want each household to only use 55 gallons per day. Per person. Well, no, not a household, per person. Each person, only 55 gallons. And if they don't, then the water district gets fined. And if it's not a drought, it's about $1,000 a day they're fined for not meeting the quota. If it's in a drought situation, the water district will be fined 10000 And do you think that the water district will take those fines and not pass them on to you as well? Yeah. So the common good... So shorter showers for the common good. Drink less water for the common good. Don't water your lawn for the common good. Finally, a fourth point. A one-world political authority. You read, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Again, you see a pattern here. This has already been fulfilled. In the sixth century. This has all been largely fulfilled in the past, but we see the pattern re-emerging from the sixth century into the 2000s. There is urgent need of a true world political authority, as my predecessor, Blessed John the 23rd, I guess, indicated some years ago. So to manage the global economy, to revive economies hit by the crisis, to avoid any any deterioration of the present crisis and the greater imbalances that would result to bring about integral and timely disarmament, food security, and peace, and to guarantee protection of the environment and to regulate migration, for all this, there is urgent need for a one true political authority. This is an instrumental way of reasoning, which provides a purely static analysis of realities in the service of the present needs, is at work whether. Resources allocated by the market or by central state planning. So, you need a bag of rice? You don't go into the grocery store to decide whether you need it or not. You go to the government agency. And you fill out papers, you see how much you need. And they give you probably some thing. this okay, you can go get what you need. It's going to be decided by a central... State planning. Do you see how this can set up for the mark of the beast, where no one can buy or sell? I mean, it's, it's like in plain sight. And it's in the Dato Sea. Si, and it's in the Earth Charter. It's in the Club of Rome. It's practically in all these different organizations that are striking and protesting. They're basically begging for this. What's stopping them? It's really stopping them right now. We'll look at that. It's the Lord, really, but there is also the United States in its role right now. The United Nations was formed on a vision of human rights, originally. Human rights in the, in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, that was was published back in the 80s, that had, like, rights written all over it, like every sentence talked about rights. rights. Rights, 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 rights. It was all about rights. And it was built upon, of course, The English Bill of Rights, the U.S. Declaration of Independence, our Bill of Rights, uh, the French Declaration of Rights, all all this influenced the United Nations to talk about rights. It was obsessed with rights. But since 2015, the 2030 Agenda, the focus has shifted away from rights. In fact, the word rights, according to one person, from reading that 2030 Agenda, The word rights is not hardly even found there at all. You don't even find the word rights. What's the focus of 2030 Agenda now? Meeting needs. Meeting needs. That is taking center stage. Your rights, I don't know about, what's that mean? Do you need something? Maybe that, we'll talk about that. But not your rights. So you see how this can infringe upon you the way you worship? This can easily transfer into how you worship and how you can do buying and selling. Very quickly, the twenty thirty agenda says, one person says, "...never discusses incompetence and corruption. The document portrays a sincere world, where all those in power want to help humanity, despite the daily evidence of selfishness, corruption, murderous intents, devilish manipulations, thefts, personal immoralities, hatred, Utter depravity of many government leaders in every country in the world, and among leaders in, in business. This is a Christian commentator talking about the 23rd Agenda. You know, It's assuming that all these pe- leaders are going to be these benevolent people who are going to care about everyone, ignoring the fact that today we're just rampantly corrupt, all kinds of murders, all kinds of immorality, all kinds of theft and, and, and killing that's happening among, among the world leaders that's being ignored no give them power because they will uh, they'll take care of your needs they'll meet your needs this is interesting um, recent from December 20 2019 this is the Antonio Guterres he is the UN Secretary General he says I'm delighted to have met His Holiness Pope Francis he's a messenger of hope dignity supporting human rights refugees and immigrants, and building bridges between communities. He's a champion for the protection of the planet. We need his moral voice more than ever. I'm glad, Mr. Guterres, you mentioned rights there, but that's sadly lacking in Laudato Si. The focus is on needs. The focus is on solidarity. The focus is on interdependence. The focus is on the common good. The focus in, it, in there is on the One World Government. That's what, that's what he's interested in. And we want to make him the moral authority. Revelation 13 says, and they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? This is developing, and what's happening is that they are all having this one mind, like in Revelation 17. They're all coming to one mind. And the one thing that's united them is the, world, the, the state, the health of the planet. And so they're, they're developing this one mind. But this round, in this round, the papacy cannot recover like it did in the 6th century, cannot, cannot grow into power, come into prominence like it did in the 6th century. Not possible. To do it, it, this round, it needs more than the Club of Rome. It needs more than the Earth Charter. It needs more than the Extinction Rebellion. It needs more than Fridays for Future. It needs even more than the UN, this round. This is what it's lacking, actually. It's lacking, they can't say this. They can't say who's able to make war with him. They can't say that today. So what do they need? They need the US. US is the most powerful military in the world. It's very widespread strategically. has more bases than anyone in the world. Um, more widespread influence as well. So that's what it needs. It needs the U.S. The Pacific Tone, Mrs. White says, of Rome in the United States does not imply a change of heart. She is tolerant where she is helpless. She is tolerant where she is helpless. Revelation thirteen twelve. this is what she needs. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon." This is the United States. The United States is this lamb-like beast that came out of the earth. It is like a lamb. It's Christian. It has many Christian aspects to to its description, the way that it speaks, the way that it conducts itself, the way that it does things. But it speaks like a dragon, ultimately. And this lamb-like beast exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. We're very close to that. We're not far. Now, it's true that our our president does not agree with the climate agenda and immigration and other issues with the Pope. That's true, but that doesn't mean he doesn't respect Catholicism. He has a high regard for people like Steve Bannon. He has a high regard for, um, for that that conservative side of Catholicism and the religious right. And it's Protestant America. It's, they're the ones who will give power to the beast. And the Pope's agenda to meet in May of 2020 of this year is to actually a global pact on education, is to affect the young people. And evangelical young people, I read one article, they're already being impacted by these things, by the climate strikes, by all the things they hear at school, they're already being impacted, and they're already sympathetic to climate change ideology and goals. So Satan is gathering all the powers to have one mind. What does the Lord want from us now that we're in 2020? we looked at all the things that have happened, how Satan has rallied his people to have one mind. What does the Lord want from us? Philippians 2, verse 2 says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, and being of one accord, and of one mind. You know, we've looked out there, quite a bit, in this message. What I want, I think what each of us needs to do, is we need to compare ourselves to Christ. We need to look in the mirror. We have character defects. You know, and, and, uh, and we've had an interesting year, 2019 20, 20, uh, is behind us. A lot of good things happened, and some tough things happened. And I would say the biggest thing that we need to be sure of, individually, is that our character defects do not stick to us. Because if they do, we will never be of one mind. We will never be of one accord. We will never be united as the world is. And we will be in this world a whole lot longer. God can keep putting in people who are with the Pope on many things and delay the time for us to stay here longer. But we need to look in the mirror. We need to examine our characters. We need to ask the Lord to show us our defects. And we need to not run away from those defects, but deal with them. Mm -hmm. Bring them to the Lord and ask them to remove those defects from our lives. Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions.